This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen to our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. As you know, I'm attorney Alan Pierce. I practice workers' compensation law and have been practicing in the field of workers' comp for uh, over 30 years. I have an office in Salem. And our show uh, today concentrates, as uh, our other shows have, in issues that arise in uh, injuries on the job and issues faced by workers, employers, insurers in dealing with workers' compensation. Today we have a slightly different uh, program. We have two guests that are going to discuss the access to workers' compensation in primarily the immigrant community. And I'd like to first introduce our uh, first guest, Marcy Goldstein-Gelb, who is the executive director of the Massachusetts Coalition of Occupational Safety and Health, known as MassCosh. Marcy has been the executive director of MassCosh for 10 years. She and her staff developed the first immigrant-led worker center, whose primary focus is on occupational safety and health. Marcy's received an award from the American Public Health Association and the National Coalition of Occupational Safety and Health for her leadership efforts in addressing environmental health and safety issues for vulnerable populations, including youth and immigrants. Joining with Marcy is Stacy Sabosik. Stacy is a lawyer. She is affiliated with the law office of Martin Kantrovitz in Boston. She practices in the areas of civil litigation and workers' compensation. Marcy is a member of the Mass Bar Association, Women's Bar Association, and the Mass Academy of Trial Attorneys. So Marcy and Stacy, welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. Thank you, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Marcy, let's start off with MassCosh. Uh, tell us a little bit about your organization and your mission, and then we can get into the issues of worker safety. Sure. Well, MassCosh is a nonprofit coalition, and we bring together workers, community leaders, union members, non-union members, youth, to ensure that all workers can go to work and return home safe and sound. And we do it through a combination of educating workers about their rights to safe conditions, as well as helping them take action in their workplace. And we also build coalitions to put forward policies that will strengthen uh, workplace protections. And what type of uh, problems have you encountered with respect to people that might be my clients in dealing with workers' compensation? Well, certainly all workers are going to encounter hazards on the job. That's that's a, a natural thing. And so we work to ensure that, that workers can take action to prevent injuries and, and, of course, fatalities. But in particular, there's groups of workers that are more vulnerable than others, that work in the most dangerous jobs, that seem to have the least voice in the workplace, those that are non-union in particular, and certainly those that are immigrants, but also youth as well. And so we have concentrated a a good deal of effort in trying to bring uh, these populations together and bringing immigrant workers together and bringing youth together so that they can know uh, what their rights are and that they can take collective action and, of course, can be involved in changing policies. What have you found to be the major impediments to um, this this particular type of classification of worker? 
both being safe on the job and having access to the workers' comp system in the event of an injury on the job. Well, maybe I can uh, do this by giving you just one example of many, many that that we'd see at Mascosh all the time. Uh, uh, A a man named Jose uh, was working in carpentry. He was lifting heavy tiles off of a roof, and he felt a very sharp pain in his back. He reported the injury to his supervisor, and what did the supervisor do? Did he file a, 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 a report to the Department of Industrial Accidents? No, instead, he took Jose to a shopping mall and left him there. Um, Jose was unable to move. He lay on the ground. And fortunately, somebody who knew him found him and took him to the hospital. Turned out that he had a herniated disc. Now he's completely disabled and dependent on free care. What happened was Jose didn't know very much about his employer. He's somebody who was a day laborer who was shipped off to this job uh, and knew very little about his rights. The employer, of course, was taking advantage of the situation and putting uh, Jose at great risk. The employer denied ever having hired Jose and uh, at first refused to provide the name of an insurer. And then he did, but if, but in this case, the employer failed to even have workers' comp coverage. So we see a number of barriers that workers face that you could see in this one example. Now, so what what does your organization do? Obviously, you provide resources, but I know you have a lawyer's network. And how do how do you work with the legal community? And that will bring Stacy right into the conversation. We we do, and lawyers play a very critical role in helping uh, the workers that we see navigate the workers' comp system, uh, and. In the cases such as this, where an employer is actively you know, deterring and preventing a worker from accessing workers' compensation, then a lawyer, somebody like uh, Stacy, is able to help them navigate these difficulties and, and address these issues. And we have other strategies as well, but, okay. but legal is a critical All one. right. So, Stacy, let's say you, uh, you're referred uh, Jose or somebody like Jose comes into your office. What are the, what are the problems that you've encountered and how have you met those challenges? Well, um, there's a number of issues that are somewhat unique to immigrant groups, including documented and undocumented uh, workers. Um, The first, like Marcy explained, is that employers will often discourage uh, workers from getting treatment in the case of an injury um, because initiating treatment initiates documentation of the injury. Um, they sometimes will go as far as dropping someone off in the middle of, you know, a shopping mall, parking lot, wherever they pick them up rather than taking them to, um, a treatment location. Employers will sometimes, uh, go with the worker to the hospital, um, to both pressure the worker to come up with a different story about how the injury happened or even act as a translator, uh, misrepresenting the facts leading up to injury, where it happened, how it happened, um, which brings up one of the largest problems um, at the very uh, beginning of a claim is that there's a language barrier for a lot of immigrant groups. English is not um, a strong um, asset for them, and it's their second language. Um, if, if, if a language at all. Correct. Right. And let me let me stop you right there. I know Marcy Maskosh has done a lot of work working in Massachusetts with our Department of Industrial Accidents to get the information not only available in English and Spanish, but other languages. How many languages are they uh, up to now in terms of at least getting basic information? It's more than just English and Spanish. I know we've got some Asian languages and, and uh, Creole, Haitian and... 
You've been working with the administration on that. Absolutely. And that's that's one important step in the process is providing information about the workers' comp system in multiple languages. There's also uh, uh, a great need for people to even be informed and educated about the workers' comp system because certainly their employer is not going to inform them. And in fact, uh, the Department of Public Health conducted a a survey and they found that of the people they interviewed at at community health centers, nearly 52% weren't even aware of uh, the workers' comp system, those people that were not born in this particular country. And and just to put this in perspective, if uh, the responsibility of wage replacement, medical care, and all of the other benefits that might flow from workers' comp are not available, denied, or uh, uh, so difficult to uh, access, the the financial burden that should be borne by industry or this employer is borne by the taxpayers. It's borne by the, the, the system. I mean, it, it's just cost-shifting and just creating and perpetuating the problems that we have in addressing these needs and, and how to meet them. Uh, you mentioned, uh, both of you mentioned both uh, the initial report of the injury and the language barriers. But once you get past that, Stacy, let's pick up what, as, as the case moves on or the injury requires treatment, wh- where are the additional uh, difficulties that you've encountered? Well, Alan, a lot of our cases, um, uh, the individual has transportation difficulties. They don't have a family or a network locally, and they depend on community networks, churches, um, outreach groups. Um, and, uh, they also, a lot of these individuals uh, have been told either directly from the employer or from friends, coworkers, that if they report the injury, the employer will take, um, retaliatory action, reporting the worker to immigration, uh, threatening deportation of the worker and the family. Um, so there's a lot of fear, not only for the injury and how to get treatment, but what happens if they do pursue, uh, their legal rights or treatment. Um, also, because oftentimes um, undocumented workers gravitate towards cash businesses, there are very little records about the hours worked, the wages earned, um, wage violations are common where workers are working uh, obscene amounts of hours and not even being paid minimum wage. Um, all of the wage violations and the, the cash business and the lack of documentation make it difficult to pursue in workers' comp. It's, it's just another challenge and a hurdle that the worker has to overcome before they can be successful in obtaining benefits. Um, additionally, a worker's fear of reporting an injury to an employer, an employer's fear of re- reporting an injury to their insurer because of increased premiums um, or, or because the worker is undocumented, leaves doubt when trying to pursue workers' comp rights because the claim hasn't been documented appropriately. It it wasn't raised to the proper authorities. It wasn't reported to the Department of Industrial Accidents or the insurer. And so that's another hurdle that the worker faces. And Marcy, what does your um, immigrant center uh, do to address these issues? And how successful have you been? Well, Alan, in addition to an individual certainly needing to pursue their legal remedies, uh, 
uh, using a, a, a lawyer like Stacy, uh, there also needs to be that little extra pressure on the employer to look at the whole workplace. As Stacy mentioned, chances are if they're being denied workers' compensation or, or being delayed workers' compensation, there may also be other violations as well, health and safety, as well as wage and hour. And so what we do is bring workers together as a group, as many workers in any workplace as possible, so that they can together document the range of violations and then come forward to the employer as a group. Coming forward as an individual brings with it a lot of fear and risks for an individual. Coming forward as a group backed by an organization, community supporters, you can then go to an employer and say, we are aware of this wide range of violations. We strongly suggest that you take action and address all of them at once, including access to workers' compensation. And that way, the whole workplace improves and not just the situation for one individual. And have you dealt with the Department of Industrial Accidents in helping that agency recognize these problems and effectively deal with them? And if so, could you tell us what efforts have been made and where you are right now? Sure. There are a number of ways that the uh, Department of Industrial Accidents can play a, a really critical role and does play a critical role in 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 making it easier for uh, particularly immigrant workers to access the system. And one, as we mentioned, is uh, making available information in multiple languages. Another is um, working in partnership with organizations like ours so that they can better uh, navigate the system because it is one that's difficult. And then uh, strong enforcement against employers who not only don't have workers' compensation, because that's something that the Department of Industrial Accidents already does. They have a strong effort to take action against employers who don't have workers' compensation, but also to take action against employers who, t who really commit fraud by forcing workers to not report their injury or by uh, lying to a hospital about the source of their injury. And so really uh, having a, a concentrated effort to prevent this sort of fraud is something that the, the industrial accidents could really ramp up. Now, one, one uh, hot issue uh, that has come up, we've even done a show on this in the past here at Legal Talk Network, has been the rights of undocumented workers to collect workers' compensation. And uh, we know, at least here in Massachusetts, and it's pretty much around the country, there may be some jurisdictions that are in the minority, but undocumented workers do not lose their rights uh, for workers' compensation benefits. Having said that, an undocumented worker faces hurdles and difficulties that uh, the average worker doesn't. Stacy, perhaps you can address uh, that. You've touched on some of it before. Uh, it may even have to do with the actual identity of the worker, the social security number or lack thereof. And what other problems as a practitioner do you run into in presenting a claim for somebody? Alan, you, you've just touched upon a couple big ones. Um, failing to have a social security number, uh, sometimes an employer will invent one. Um, and obtaining records concerning the worker, either start and stop date, date of birth, um, address, various records for pay, um, and wages, it becomes difficult. Uh, employers sometimes will dock workers for bathroom breaks, for nurse visits, and there's no documentation of that. It's just taken off of the, the paycheck at the end of the week. Um, there's also uh, difficulty that some workers face obtaining medicine that's familiar to them, treatment that they understand and that's common in uh, in their country of origin might not be available to them here, even if there is insurance. Uh, a lot of workers' comp insurers don't approve treatments such as acupuncture or traditional medicine, um, which I think just magnifies the distrust that an injured worker would have for the service uh, and, and Western medicine in general. 
You mentioned that uh, in Massachusetts, whether or not the worker is documented, they do have rights under workers' comp. And I think that in and of itself is a deterrent to employers um, because they cannot avoid the obligation to be insured simply by uh, staffing their their. Uh, you know, their offices with undocumented workers. Anyone that works in Massachusetts has the same rights. Um, any employee, I should say, has the same rights, uh, documented or undocumented. And one of the ways that my office tries to help get that information out is by spending extra time with uh, with workers, with immigrant workers, with undocumented workers that come to my office specifically because they are the sources for information for their communities. They're the ones who pass the the lesson along by word of mouth to friends, to family, to coworkers, to people that you know they see um, in their everyday lives, and help stop the misinformation that's spread by employers and the fear of deportation, the fear of um, you know having no rights and things like that. Well, let's talk about the fear of deportation a little bit and how a state agency um, reacts. Um, Marcy, have you had discussions with? our uh, state administration with respect to their response to a claim either uh, that comes in and either they learn or the uh, administrative judge or the department learns the claimant is undocumented? What What is their policy? This administration has been uh, very uh, positive in that arena, um, joining as well the attorney general's office in making it very clear that uh, they will assist all workers in achieving their rights. And I think that they, part, in, in small part, due to coalitions coming together and having a dialogue about this being a really con- a big concern in the past, that this particular administration has spread the word within different levels of the, of the agency that uh, they're going to make sure that the action is taken to ensure that all workers entitled to workers' comp obtain it. Um, and one thing that, uh, that Stacy mentioned, uh, is that certainly employers will use immigration status as a way to deter workers from taking action. But what we've seen over and over again is that employers really know deep down that they can't do that, that that's something that will come back to haunt them. And so they'll use threats. Um, but in fact, uh, if, if workers pursue their rights and work together as a group, Almost, you know, never does an employer actually call an immigration agency on them and, and risk having them themselves investigated. And Stacy, um, have you had situations where you've represented a, a claimant who, for either economic reasons or legal reasons or a combination of the both, uh, returned to his or her native homeland? And how do you deal with the locally based workers' comp system, the need for independent medical exams, hearings? Um, testimony, et cetera, when you have somebody who's now back uh, on an island in the Caribbean or down in South America or Southeast Asia? It does happen. Um, uh, And we've had a couple cases where um, it became a hurdle, but not an insurmountable obstacle. Um, One case in particular, I can think of a worker was injured um, at a facility that had, you know, homemade equipment, machinery for tire recycling um, that wasn't up to safety code. And it was one of his first days on the job. And he, his arm was caught in the machine and broken in multiple places. After um, emergency surgery, he was left with a post-operative course of physical therapy. Um, when he completed that, he went back to a new employer. Uh, the hardware that was installed was causing difficulty and needed to be removed. There was a plan for surgery in place when he was deported. 
back to Guatemala and um, where he was sent to back to his, his uh, country of origin, he was really kind of in the middle of nowhere. There were no medical treatment facilities. There were no surgeons that could perform the surgery. And it took a group effort. Um, uh, members of Mascosh assisted, a New York sister organization assisted, finding a, a surgeon in Guatemala that would be willing to work with a Massachusetts workers' comp insurer um, and all of the difficulties that come along with that. Some of the specific problems were in Massachusetts, insurers require billing codes and they only pay according to uh, legislated state, what we call board rates, uh, the rate for each procedure. Also, they do not prepay for services um, as a rule. So it's very different. Um, the surgeon had to front the costs of the surgery to do uh, the, the procedure in a hospital in Guatemala City. Um, the worker had to travel a full day to get to the facility, but ultimately the insurer paid for this surgery and began a relationship with this surgeon in Guatemala that we can use in the future um, to assist other workers that are in a similar situation. Well, that's a great story. Actually, this at this point, I think we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back to talk more with Marcy Goldstein-Gelb and Stacey Sobosik. Coming soon, you can listen to Legal Talk Network shows and get CLE credit at West Legal Ed Center. Stay tuned. A video settlement documentary is a powerful tool. It can turn your plaintiff's case into money at the settlement table. Call the professionals at Skyways Communications at 781-551-9960 to find out more. Don't miss out on the latest in new media marketing opportunities for your firm. Contact Deb Curran at 781-551-9960 and learn all about the Web 2.0 revolution. Well, welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters. With me today is Marcy Goldstein-Gelb, Executive Director of MassCosh, and Stacey Sapozik from the Law Office of Martin Kantowitz. We last were speaking about uh, Stacy's uh, work and getting access to medical care and resolving a workers' comp issue for a, an employee who was deported to Guatemala. Marcy, uh, from your perspective, um, are there certain uh, jobs and careers uh, where certain immigrant communities gravitate to, and what are some of the the dangerous jobs, and how have you addressed those uh, remedially, either through the legislature or through um, uh, grassroots action through legal action. Uh, well, that's you're right on target. That uh, often, uh, that statistically, immigrants tend to be in the jobs that end up being the most hazardous, tend to have the highest rates of injuries and and proportionally as well fatalities. And um, what we find is that there are tend to be clusters of people from certain ethnicities that tend to end up in certain occupations. We often see uh, Brazilian and Latino immigrants in construction, uh, Brazilian as well in cleaning janitorial, Latino as well. Uh, uh, Haitian community members tend to end up in the healthcare industry, nursing home, uh, among others. And, and again, all of these have uh, industries have quite a number of hazards. Now, Again, you can have an industry with a lot of hazards if you have employers that do their best to ensure that 
they are addressed. And in many cases, when you're talking about vulnerable workers, they tend to be not addressed. And so what we do uh, is try to Again, engage as many immigrants as possible in coming together, learning about how to identify what is a hazard, uh, what might affect their health and their safety, what are their rights to safe conditions, what are the rights in the federal law, what what are some of the rights in the state as well, and what are some actions they, that they can take. In some cases, it is tapping into the law. It may make sense if it's a very pressing danger for them to call in OSHA, but in other cases, it may fall between the cracks of OSHA regulations. And in those cases, again, we work with the workers to take a look at the whole workplace, document these conditions, and to press their employer for making change as a group with support from the community. Yeah. I know you've just recently addressed that issue with the floor finishing industry. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what those problems were and how they were addressed. Sure. And what's interesting about the floor finishing industry is that it's predominantly Vietnamese uh, individuals, and it's in some ways less so a situation where you've got an employer who is uh, is actively abusing their employees because in many cases we're talking about family members. Uh, and so what we found is that uh, just a few years back, there were two situations where the chemicals used in this industry uh, ignited and caused several deaths. And so as a result, we began investigating the situation and found that that fires from these chemicals were quite common, that some of the chemicals used, particularly amongst the uh, Vietnamese floor finishers, were highly, highly flammable. And so we brought together, in this case, multiple stakeholders. We felt that it really needed to have the industry involved as well, floor finishers, those that supply the finishing products, those from the community that are work with the Vietnamese community as well. And collectively, we determined that these products were completely unnecessary and really needed to be removed from use. At first, the industry felt we don't want to have regulations telling us what to do. We will voluntarily work to eliminate these chemicals. And within a few months of trying to do that, that failed, unfortunately. And so they themselves recognize that there need to be regulations in place. Um, and so as a result, uh, we've been working on both legislation uh, that's in the state legislature, which would prohibit the use of these chemicals and recently got the fire uh, board of regulators to uh, have some uh, additional hurdles where they have to get a permit in order to use these flammable products. Well, I want to thank you both for joining me today on Workers' Comp Matters. Marcy, how does anybody get in touch with Mascosh? What's your either phone number or website? Uh, we can be reached at www.maskosh.org, and our number is 617-825-SAFE, uh, and we welcome people calling us to uh, support their issues. Well, thank you very much. I want to thank you for joining us, and thank you out there for listening today. I'm attorney Alan Pierce. I hope you go out and make today a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Cop Matters today on the Legal Talk Network. Hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other workers' comp matter shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. 
Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.